0: Hi, everyone. This is Amber Wardell, and these are the Sensible Sessions. If you're new here, this podcast is all about faith, family, business, and entrepreneurship, and how all of those things intersect. I mainly focus on speaking to women and moms, but I like to think that we talk about things here that just about any human person could relate to or enjoy. And today's topic is something that I'm really passionate about, something that I've gotten a lot of questions about. And although I have answered some of these questions, whether it be on Instagram or over on my YouTube channel or on TikTok, I've never put together a really cohesive video on the topic. And so I figured I'd do that today. The topic today is all about mental health Um, my story of finding my therapist and giving you some of maybe my tips of how to know that maybe you need to go to therapy, um, how to go about starting that process. If there was something good that came out of 2020 and all of us being shoved back into our homes and social distancing, it's that um, the mental health industry really found a way to make sure that people were taken care of even when they couldn't get in person. And it's my hope that mental health will continue in this digital space because I think it's creating room for people who maybe are very uncomfortable being in a room with someone and talking about their issues, especially when that person is a stranger, um, versus doing it mediated through the phone or through video and a computer. So I'm gonna be talking about all of that today, but before I do, let me just check in with a word from our sponsor. The Sensible Mama is an online baby boutique for babies, toddlers, big kids, and moms. Our warehouse is located in Atlanta, Georgia, and we are mama-owned and mama-operated. Our website, thesensiblemama.com, is a place where you can find all of the best-known names in the industry researched by us. We are also the home of Lymia brand, which is a high-end line of diaper bags, sunglasses, and accessories designed by me with busy moms on the go in mind. While you're there make sure you sign up for our sensible reward program or apply for the affiliate program to start earning money either through cash back in the store or directly deposited to your bank account lastly make sure you're following the sensible mama on instagram to be ahead of the game for all store news and product launches and with that said let's get right back into today's content all right thank you so much for taking a second to listen to that ad and now I'm going to jump right into what I really want to talk about today which is why I started therapy. Um, I'm going to tell the story of how I ended up starting therapy and going about finding my therapist. If you're someone who's a part of the Sensible Mama Rama on Facebook you've probably heard bits of these stories. I go live over there two times a week and we've discussed some of these things But there are elements of this story that I've not shared before, and I'm going to be going into that today. So even if you feel like you have most of the details, there are many that you don't have, and this is the day that I'm going to share them. Um, The first thing that I want to say is I'm going to share parts of the story, but not all of the story is mine to tell. There are other people involved in this story, and in an effort to sort of respect their privacy, and obscure their identity. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go into all the details. And some of the details I might change up a little bit. But just know that's not. That's not me trying to um, not be transparent. It's me honoring the people in my life who deserve their privacy um, to be respected. So let me back up um, <clears throat> to around the middle of everything that was happening here in the United States with COVID. Um, I guess a few months prior to that beginning, a family member moved into our home, and it has been such a joy having this family member in our home, but there was some, maybe a little bit of tension with that person in the household, particularly related to that person and my husband, and there's just a lot of history there. There's a lot of hurt and things that have to be restored between the two of them, that thankfully have been restoring during the time that this person has lived in our home. But there has been some, some struggle there. And there was just one incident in particular that brought everything to a head. I really haven't decided how much of this I'm gonna share, so I'm gonna do my best to do this on the fly. So as I've grown on TikTok, the importance of safety in our household and and here um, at my warehouse has gotten a little bit more important to us because the algorithm over there on TikTok presents your content to people who are located near you. There have been more and more people in my area who recognize me when I go out places. And just in an effort to keep ourselves safe, we've kind of tried to step up our security measures and things like that most people are not scary but you just have to kind of protect yourself anyway right so we had installed some some security cameras on the outside of our home particularly on our front door now we had had a ring doorbell on this door um, since before this family member moved into our house and it had never been a problem it just was something that existed this person was aware of it, and it just didn't even seem like a thing that needed to be discussed. But at some point that ring doorbell stopped working and it had become more of a pain than it was worth. So we decided to get a different security camera system that had a better kind of um, like ecosystem and software that went along with it. My husband is really into all that stuff. So he found a, a really, really great camera for that. For whatever reason, when we installed this camera, It triggered what I still to this day don't know if it was a an actual psychotic episode or if it was like a cry for help from this person in our house or if it maybe was just for attention Um, it could have been a little bit of all of those things but what happened next was really scary for our household this person Um, began telling us that they were no longer able to come out of their bedroom because they believed that the camera was doing, like, spying on them and tracking them and saying these things that just were very much, like, of a psychotic nature. Uh, We began trying to talk with this person and try to get an understanding of, like, what what was going on. This person has had a history of kind of doing things like this, whether it was, I don't know. I don't know what the reason is. And actually, I'm not going to sit here and and try to make assumptions about it. This had happened in the past. Um, And so we kind of were like trying to understand what exactly was the intent here. But as the conversations continued, and these were all being done through text because this person wouldn't come out of their room. Um things got scarier and scarier. It went from sort of this paranoid discourse about cameras and how the government is using cameras to imprison all of us and enslave all of us, and because of this camera, he was now not physically able to leave his room. And it didn't matter how how much we explained. Um, The camera is pointing outside. It's not filming anything going on inside the house. That wasn't getting through either, Um, and it, it turned from, it turned from being about like, well, I can't leave my house because I'm being surveilled to being, I can't leave my, I can't leave my house or the room, um, because I'm staging a sit-in. And we kind of tried to explain to this person, while you are living in this house and you do have rights, you, you don't get to stage a sit-in in someone else's home, and expect them to to kind of do what you say. You're, you're trying to hold us hostage to what you want in our own home and we can't we can't have that. We're gonna draw a boundary here. This is for our safety. This is to make sure that you included are safe and this is how it's gonna have to be. <sighs> and the conversations escalated to, to a point where we were both, Charlie and I were pretty sure this was not for attention. It, it seemed more and more like a psychotic episode words are being thrown around, like, I'm willing to die for this. I am today's Gandhi. Um, I am doing the work of Gandhi by doing these things and just, just some really scary stuff. And so when we try to explain, like, listen, you are, you are allowed to protest what the government is doing, however you want, but you can't protest um, inside our own home. Now, if you want, if this is a really big problem to you, let us know. we will help you move out lovingly. We will help you find a place to live. That was always the plan anyway. So let us help you. And then that conversation escalated into you don't want me here. you're trying to force me out. I knew that I wasn't loved and and things like that. And we found ourselves in this like in a rock in a hard place where it really seemed like nothing, no solution was going to be found we had to draw a boundary for our own home saying, listen, this is something that we have to do to keep ourselves and our children and you safe. Um, And so you have to respect our rights as the owners of this home. However, you don't have to live here if this is not acceptable for you. You've been living here long enough. You've saved up lots of money. You're in a perfect financial position to make this change now. Let us help you do it. Um, And it just, it became volatile really fast with threats of starving of this person starving themselves um scary stuff it reached a point where I was so concerned that I was shaking I was having a hard time breathing and I I didn't know what to do so I told my husband I said I I'm out of my depth here I want to reach out to some psychologists and see if we can get some help for this person but I want your permission first. And he said, yes, yes, please do. So then I actually, I reached out also to this family member and I said, do I have your consent to reach out to therapists because I think you need help. And in that moment, uh, this person said, okay, yes, I will, I will consent to that. So I immediately reached out to a whole bunch of therapists in my area I sent them a very detailed email of what was going on. I said, I understand that you may not be able to speak to me about this because I am not the person who is in crisis, but I do have this person's consent. They can confirm that I have their consent, and I just need, I need help. I don't know what to do. And again, this is because we were. Re- this had been a, a full day and a half of this person not eating, not leaving their room, and escalating to a point of, of scaring all of us. What ended up happening was about four or five of the therapists that I reached out to emailed me back. After receiving a very lengthy, detailed email explaining what was going on in the crisis we were in, um, and their response was just, will you be paying out of pocket or do you have insurance? And I'm not going to lie, it put a really bad taste in my mouth. Um, And so I kind of, I spoke to my husband. I said, none of these therapists I've reached out to are being very helpful i i I guess i need to know are we going to pay out of pocket are we going to do insurance let me know so i can get back to these people but i have a bad taste in my mouth about this and in the time it took for me to speak to these therapists and then speak to my husband um this family member began like came back to our group chat and was like i will not speak to a therapist i will not speak to anyone i revoke my consent so i was like (sighs) okay new level of stress Later that evening, the last therapist that I had reached out to reached out to me with a very lengthy email. And he said, um, thank you for sharing this with me. I know that this was scary for you. I also have concerns and I feel that this person in your household may be in psychological crisis. It is possible that this person is manipulating, but I don't know that because I'm not in your home. Um, I have re- He said, "I. this is beyond my my training my skill set I'm not credentialed to deal with this but if we can get on the phone I can walk you through what you need to do next so we immediately set up a phone call and I called this person Um, and I explained to him like this person has now said they won't speak to a therapist any longer I don't know what more I can share at this point I shared the details of, of this problem while I had consent from this person and now I no longer have it and he said that's fine you actually don't need to say anything else to me let me walk you through getting in contact with the proper resources because I believe you need to have this person detained. If they go any longer without eating and drinking water, this could be a very serious problem. You might need to have them involuntarily hospitalized. So I said, I'm not super ready for that, um, but give me all that information, please, and, and we'll make a decision. So this therapist gave me all the info and when I got off the phone with him, I sent a message to our family chat and I said, listen, uh, this is what's going to happen next if things don't change. I am going to have to get in touch with a crisis center and I don't know what could happen from there, but there is potential that you could end up being detained and I need you to be aware of this. I need you to be informed that that is, I'm not trying to manipulate or force you to do anything But you have to understand that if this is a game, it's about to have some very serious consequences. Sure enough, shortly after that, this person de-escalated what they were doing. Everything kind of changed after this person realized that there could be some real-world consequences for what was going on. Um, And later that night... My husband had left the house. I was at home alone with the kids. I was trying to get something either up or down the stairs. I can't remember which direction I was going, and that's actually irrelevant. Um, And I, I dropped whatever it was. And although it wasn't heavy, it was filled with like little pieces of kids' toys, and they all went tumbling down the stairs, and it sounded really dramatic. And when that happened, this family member burst through the door of their room and ran outside to check on me. And it was this moment of the ice breaking and the tension breaking as as we're standing there, him at the top of the... It doesn't matter. I've been trying to obscure this person's gender, but it's whatever. Um, This person at the top of the stairs and me down at the bottom looking at each other. And he kind of like smiles at me, asks if I'm okay, and then goes back to his room. I was so relieved to see that he was okay, and that things were going to be okay. But at the same time, I was very emotionally wrecked over what we had been through. And it's, ooh, it's uh, surprisingly emotional to talk about still. Um, I just, I sat down and I cried. <clears throat> because realizing in that moment that I think this person had been manipulating me, I think this person had put me and my husband through a lot of emotional torment, a lot of fear and anxiety and worry over this person who ultimately may have just been playing a game. And after realizing how hard that had hit me, I took a, a moment I and I, I kind of did like took inventory of my the state that I was in, and I said, I don't think most people would react this badly to this. I feel like most people would be like, hmm, that sucked. I can't believe that person did that and move on. But because I have a little bit of a past history of being manipulated by people, particularly using their mental health to manipulate me, it was a really big trigger. And I remember sitting down and saying, I wonder if that therapist... Who offered to help me with this person? Would be willing to sit down and speak to me. And that was the moment that I decided that I was, I was going to try to seek therapy. And this is where in the story I'm going to switch gears a little bit. And that's kind of the end of the story of everything leading up to therapy. From here on I'm going to be talking about how I got started and kind of how things unfolded, and hopefully to kind of help you get an idea of how you might expect things to go if you begin therapy and why I think it's so important. Um, So after taking a little bit of time to sort of collect myself, I reached out to my therapist, not, well, now my therapist at the time, just someone who had helped me, and I said, everything's fine now, we seem to have realized it was a little bit of a game, uh, but to be honest, I'm pretty shaken up, and I just feel like I need to speak to somebody. I said I have a, a number of my own just ongoing issues, and these are some of these things are things that I still haven't even shared with my my customers or my, my followers, my audience yet, and I'm not ready to talk about those things today. But I did kind of lay some of that out for him, and I said here are some of the things that I'm dealing with, but to be honest, I don't, I don't really know what I need. And I said, I noticed on your bio, on your website, that you specialize in people who don't know what they need. And that's me. I, I know I need help, but beyond that, I, I don't know what I need. And he got back to me right away. He said, um, why don't we schedule like a 45-minute free consultation? And this, he was the only therapist who offered that, and I, I was really touched by that because I have seen other therapists in the past only very briefly because I learned in my first couple of sessions with them that I didn't jive well with them and it wasn't it wasn't worth it to me to continue with these these two separate therapists who were obviously not what I needed and I was really thankful that this therapist gave me the opportunity to find that out before I paid anything and before I invested in this journey with him so we set up the appointment and it was just wonderful we clicked right away um and i think i think one of the biggest things that was eye-opening for me and that i think a lot of people who are thinking about going to therapy don't realize is that you when you sit down to have a conversation with a therapist you don't have to know what to say first because i remember we were doing this over zoom because it was still in the middle of covid Um, I remember just starting the zoom call and being like, I, I don't know where to begin. There's just so much going on. Um, so he kind of, because we already had a little bit of context of what was going on in my life due to the crisis that I had been in the week prior, that was where we started. He was like, so tell me how you're feeling ever since all that stuff that happened. Um, But you won't, just know that you won't always have that. (laughs) I hope that you won't be going into a therapy session already having a crisis on your hands that the therapist knows of because you were seeking emergency help. Um, But you don't have to actually have a premise already laid out. Therapists, good therapists, are specially trained to know how to draw that information out of you. And sometimes it might start with just a, what brought you here today? What made you decide to reach out to me? And you'd be surprised how easy it is to find that one thing. Like, what was that moment when you said, that's it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go find a therapist. So if you don't feel like you know what to lead off with, you're not going to have to be the one carrying the burden of the conversation. For me, as a socially awkward person who really can't stand silence, I will, I will interject my voice anytime there is a pregnant silence, right? So I was really nervous about like, what if I run out of things to say? And I have heard of therapeutic techniques that evidently aren't really used that much anymore, where the therapist would sit silent and let you, it was called like self-actualize. So you'd just sit there and you were expected to speak. And they didn't really prompt you or lead you in any way. And I was like, I can't do that. (laughs) That's not going to work for me. Um, But my therapist didn't do any of that. I don't really recommend staying around with a therapist who does that unless that really works for you. That's a sidebar. So we got talking about everything that I had going on. And the things that I was looking for with this therapist as we continued this conversation was, is he empathic is he empathetic does, do I sense understanding and compassion and empathy for him do, does this person have a heart was number one uh number two I wanted a sense for does he speak over me does he invalidate me do, like I I had enough of that going on in my life of feeling invalidated and what I didn't need was trying to express myself and trying to talk about my story and my feelings and my situation, and have those things invalidated. And that was actually something that I brought up in our first session. I wasn't planning on talking about this, but it just came to my mind. Um, I said to him, I was kind of talking about my my issues with misogyny and men in my life being a problem. And I said, I'm very I'm worried to even share these these feelings with you because I'm worried about you. Invalidating them. And right now where I'm at in my life is like, I'm not, I'm not in a healthy enough place to have my feelings invalidated. And he just straight up, he was like, I can sense that. I see that. He said, there will of course be a time in the therapeutic process where when you have stinking thinking, when you are perceiving things in a way that is not healthy to you, I will point that out to you. He said, but I strongly feel that during this time, especially He said, I get the sense that you spend a lot of your time not feeling heard. He said, you're highly communicative. You talk. You're not afraid to voice your opinion and express yourself. So it's not that you don't feel able to speak. It's not that you feel like you don't have a voice. It's that you feel that your voice is not being heard. And he said, I feel that my job, at least for now, is going to be to just hear you. And that was a moment for me where I just broke down crying in this very first free consultation because that was what I needed to hear. And the fact that this therapist really picked up on that from the jump, like he knew that from the very beginning, it told me everything that I needed to know about this person being empathetic, having a heart, and not wanting to speak over me, but to really listen. So I did decide to make him my therapist, and we began having once-a-week sessions. He said at the time that the goal would be to eventually not have to come every week. Maybe we would come every two weeks and then maybe once a month, but that in this beginning phase, um, every week would probably be good. We, have, As I mentioned before, we were able to do um, basically computer-mediated therapy, which meant I was able to be at at home or in my office someplace where I felt safe and comfortable and we just did um video therapy and it was great I I think that I mentioned this earlier it it to me it was no different than actually being person to person with someone and in some ways it really was more comfortable (laughs) to be in my own safe space um I want to say that the first probably the first two months or so of my therapy was just talk therapy It was really just me unloading a whole bunch of things that had been going on in my life, in my marriage, uh, with my business, with my friendships. And I got to say, just unburdening myself of a lot of that stuff that had been painful or traumatizing or hurtful to me and being heard, it made such a difference. I felt all of this tenseness leaving me. I felt like, um, I, I was more patient and tolerant with people because I wasn't just walking around filled with all of this angst um, over never feeling like I was able to actually talk to anyone about stuff that was going on with me. And I want to say, like, if you're someone who's a friend of mine in my personal life, I obviously had people around who were willing to listen. Um, but one problem, one side of that, and one thing that I hope you'll take away from this this podcast is that, um, again... There are some things that you don't really want to share with people in your personal sphere because of fear, like I talked about earlier, of them turning on the people in your life um, and holding you to like walking away from those people when maybe that's not actually what's best or what's wanted for you. The other side of it is that everyone has their own sort of, I think people can't, just can't help themselves, but want to try to help you. And that's a good thing. Um, And the way that they usually go about it, though, is they share with you kind of what they think sounds best, and they try to convince you of that. And it's all well and good, and it's all with great intentions. But sometimes um, you need someone who is, first of all, objective. And it's really hard for anyone in your life to be objective. Second of all, you need someone with just a little bit more training and experience to help you walk some of these more complicated situations, I think. Particularly when the things you're talking about in therapy have to do with your marriage or your family or your children. Sometimes you just need someone with a few more tools than what your friends and family have. Um, and that was wonderful. And I think that, you know, people often ask, like, how did you know that you needed EMDR therapy? How did you know that you needed parts work? And I'm not going to get into what all of those are today, but if you're interested, maybe I'll do another podcast describing each of those, but these are these are therapy techniques, like ways of doing therapy, and I didn't know that I needed them, <laughs> it was going to therapy every week and having my therapist listen and starting to pick up on things, he started recognizing things that are called little t traumas, and I want to talk about this more in a minute, but little t traumas are basically, so think about like capital letter T, like capital T-R-A-U-M-A, big trauma. This is like going to war, losing a loved one, a parent at a really young age, um sexual assault, physical assault, things like that that are that are complex trauma. And I feel like a lot of times people do think that they need to have big complex capital T trauma in order to go to therapy. But the thing that I'm realizing is that you don't have to have complex trauma in order to need therapy you have these lowercase t little t traumas that really impact you and as we started kind of uncovering some of my little t traumas through therapy that was when my therapist started saying you know we need to we need to pull out the big guns we need to try emdr we need to try parts work we need to try these different types of approaches to try to understand how these these small non-complex traumas impacted you And just to give you one just really silly example, I've talked about this before on social media, but um, when I was in school, in high school, I was planning on going to get my PhD. I was really active, therefore, in my studies. I'd gone through a couple years of not caring about school, and so I had a lot of makeup work to do to get my GPA back up. I had to work really, really hard. So I was doing that. I was in speech and debate. I was a... um, an officer on the speech and debate team. I was in theater. I was in all the plays. At that time, I had a lead role in the play. We were doing Streetcar Named Desire. And um, I also wanted to try out for the Palm Squad. Having been a gymnast my whole life, I felt like this would be really great for me. And I really wanted to be popular. I wanted all the popular girls to like me. And I thought, oh man, if I joined the Palm Squad, like this would be the way to get in. And they had one spot available um, because a girl had had left the team. The tryouts for that ended up being the same afternoon as a, a big dress rehearsal for the show that was coming up for theater. But I told my theater teacher, hey, listen, I'm just going to miss like the first 15 minutes of rehearsals to go do this tryout and then and I'll be back. And I'm really sorry about that. But this is a big deal. This play is going to be over in two weeks or whatever it was. But being on the Palm Squad, I can do for the rest of high school. And I, I really want this opportunity. My teacher, who I was really close to, who I respected so much, said to me, Amber, you're like a water sprinkler. You sprinkle water everywhere, but never enough in one place to count. And that phrase stuck with me for a long time. And I really thought, as now as a 36-year-old mother of two with a, my own business and an advanced degree, I really thought that I had put that behind me. But there was a day where we were in therapy. We were just going, going over some old things from high school, and this came up. And when I tell you, I broke down sobbing, I broke down sobbing, telling this story. And as as I went through the story, I started realizing how, like blinking fast and just being like, I can't believe this. This thing, this this one thing that a frustrated teacher said to me without even really thinking much about it has shaped who I became as a person, the way that I obsess over things, the way that I... Dive into everything relentlessly, and like it becomes an obsession until I get it just right. The way that I always feel like I'm failing at whatever it is that I'm doing, I'm never doing enough. I'm always behind the ball. I'm. I always could be doing better, or giving more, or trying harder. And I realize now that it was this little T trauma, this thing someone said to me, that meant nothing to him, but meant everything to me. And who I would become as a person. It's it's making me want to cry talking about it right now. So much of the maladjusted parts of myself, the parts of me that beat myself up too much, and that expect way more from myself than what I'm able to give, came from that moment. That I'm sure that teacher hasn't thought about once since then. And I share that with you because I am willing to bet my life on the, the probability that you have something like that that happened to you too. Something that most people would say to you, would you just let it go already? Because they don't see and they don't know. Maybe even you don't know. I didn't. What that thing did to you. Where you buried it inside of your brain. And how long it's been in there like this little ticking time bomb that you didn't know was there <laughs> that is still holding you hostage. So, <sighs> thankfully, I want to say I'm, I'm better from that now. <laughs> it's taken a lot of work in therapy, but I'm getting better. I'm getting better. And I want you to know that too. I have like a little list of things that I want to be your takeaway here. One of them is the first one. You don't have to have capital T trauma in order to need and benefit from therapy. Number two is you don't have to know what you need. It will come out. As I said, a, a good therapist will know how to tease it out of you. And it may take some sessions. You may have a few sessions where you walk away going, I don't really, I don't know what I got out of that. Stick with it. If you're if you're vibing with the therapist, you get along well, you think this is a good person, stick with it. They're still trying to figure you out too. And you're going to be evasive about it, whether you mean to or not. You're not going to make it easy on them to find out what what the problem is. So give them time. The third thing I want you to know is that not all therapists are good for you. And frankly, I don't know why I added that qualifier. For not all therapists are great at their job. There are therapists who graduated at the bottom of their class, okay? And I don't mean that to be mean. I just mean not every therapist is the best one out there and not every therapist is the best one for you. One of the reasons why I did not continue therapy with the two other therapists who I had had in the past, um, was that with the first one, there was a lot of chauvinism involved there. He was a man and it was just, it, it, I don't want to go into it. It was not a good fit. Uh, the second one was a Christian counselor who I've, I've now decided I'm going to leave my, my Christian walk separate from my mental health walk. And that's a personal decision. If you want to hear more about that, I could do a separate video or podcast on that. Um, I've made the decision to do more secular therapy. And leave my my Christian sort of walk and growth um, separate from that. But this first therapist was a Christian therapist. And I was speaking to her about someone in my life who was a really big problem. And I said, I'm really struggling because I worry that I hate this person. I feel like I may hate this person. And she like clutched her literal pearls, her actual pearls that were around her neck. And she said, oh, I would never hate anyone. Never. I could never, and I would never. And I stayed for the rest of that session, but I decided like, I, this isn't what I need. I don't need to hear about you today and how, how much better you are than I am as I deal with this situation that you can't understand. Um, So just know that if you're not vibing with your therapist, you're not expected to stick around with them. You must advocate for yourself. You must either tell them, this is not working for me. I want you to not do that again. I don't like that. Or you need to say, you know what? That's your style. I respect it, but it's not going to work for me and you need to leave. You will find the right therapist. It just may take some time. Look for therapists who are willing to give you, ask them if they will do this. Ask if they will give you a free consultation. They should do that if they want to help you and if they want your business. The last one might not be applicable to everyone, but for those of you who have nosy ninnies in your life, people who feel entitled to know everything about your your inner life, your inner workings, this may be a spouse or maybe family members, friends, I don't know, but I just need you to hear this. You do not have to tell anyone why you are in therapy, who you see, and what you're discussing in therapy. This is called setting a major boundary. <laughs> this is, you, first of all, you don't have to tell anyone you're in therapy. That can be completely secret to you. I do want us to end the stigma of being in therapy, but I also understand that if you have someone in your life who will pressure you and demand to know what you're talking about in therapy, or worse, if you fear that they're going to try to keep you from getting that therapy, don't tell anyone. Uh, People will ask who your therapist is. I advise not sharing that with them. Uh, Unless you really are like wanting to recommend your therapist to somebody... Whenever I talk about therapy on social media, I often have people asking who it is that I see, and uh, I just don't feel comfortable sharing that. I don't want. I don't really need anyone to know who that person is, frankly. Even though therapists have a um, have an ethical standard that they must hold themselves to, I don't need people prying around trying to get information from my therapist, and you don't either. And you especially don't have to talk about what you are talking about in therapy you can just gracefully say this is between me and my therapist and leave it at that so that's really it for what i wanted to talk about with therapy uh it felt good to unload some of this stuff and share with you what i've been doing (laughs) and how i got started i do want to leave you with this because i get a lot of people who ask where can i go to find a therapist this is not sponsored in any way Um, I went through psychologytoday.com. It is a really great service because it will actually show you all of the therapists who are registered through Psychology Today. And there's a lot in your area. It gives you a way to contact them safely through the Psychology Today app. It gives you phone numbers, websites, bios, everything. And you can research all of the therapists in your area and contact them. I recommend casting a wide net. Reach out to a bunch, 8 to 10 Tell them what you're looking for and what you need, and just see what kind of email responses you get back from them. Pick who you feel you vibe with the most. Pick the ones who are willing to offer you a free consult first. You will get a sense for what kind of a person they are just based on the the next email that they send you. So for me, that was the easiest and most effective way to find and begin interviewing therapists. I know this one was a little bit longer than most of my podcasts are, and I appreciate you for staying and listening and hearing what I have to say on this. Um, I hope that it gives you some answers. I hope that it's, um, if you're someone who's been thinking about starting therapy, I hope that this gave you some more insight into that. And I just thank you for watching. Um, As always, um, just in case you're new here, my name is Amber. I am the owner of thesensiblemama.com. We're an online baby boutique. We cater to moms and toddlers and big, bigger kids all the way up to moms. Um, and we do it all from a place of trying to uplift and encourage and inspire other moms um, through having fun and making light of motherhood as much as we can. We have a great community on Facebook called the Sensible Mama Rama. We'd love to have you come join us over there. It's just a chat group where people can connect and talk about motherhood or Diaper bag purchases, product reviews, whatever, just whatever is on your mind. We have a great community over there. So search us on Facebook, The Sensible Mama, Rama. You can find us online at www.thesensiblemama.com. We have just about everything you could need for mom and for baby and everything in between. Love you. Mean it always. Mwah! And I'll see you in the next one.